today's scripture reading is going to be from Ephesians uh, 6, 5 through 9. It can be found on page 829 in the Pew Bibles, or it'll be up behind me as well. Of course, it doesn't. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Over the last several weeks, we've been walking through um, the letter to the church at Ephesus, or the book that we call the um, Ephesians, and we've been particularly looking in recent weeks at what flows out of the filling of the Holy Spirit that we see in Ephesians chapter 5, in that the Apostle Paul, who is writing this letter to, to the church in Ephesus, is emphasizing that the evidence that the Holy Spirit fills us will affect the church and that it will affect our human relationships. And he goes into some specific details about husbands and wives, about parents and children, and about masters and servants. But each one of these, when we see them in their context, it's not just a, a how-to manual about how to approach a relationship. There's something far greater at stake. Each of these are designed to be living stories that show us what a relationship with God is truly like. This is why God cares so much about our human relationships. He wants you to experience joy and meaning and intimacy in your relationships. And he wants to make sure that they are filled with the best things that he has to offer. And that's why he gives us instructions about how we pursue them. Because when we don't pursue them in those ways, it presents a picture of a distorted view of what our relationship with God is like. So those three pictures that we've looked at over the last few weeks are, are first of all, that we see at the end of Ephesians chapter 5 is the picture of a husband redeemer, that Jesus Christ is a God who loves you so much, he was willing to give everything for you because he believes in you. He cares for you. And he not only wants to save you and, and came and gave his life on a cross to provide a way for us to have a relationship with him, but he says, I will complete you. I will cleanse you. I will make you into the person I created you to be. And it will be filled with joy and with the longing of our hearts of true intimacy to be fully known and to be fully loved. So that's the first picture, and it's a picture not just of husbands and wives, but it's a picture of God's relationship with us. That's why he says, I'm speaking specifically of Christ and his church. The second picture that he goes and gives practical instruction on is that of parents and children. And the picture points to the fact that God is a father we can trust. It gives us security. All of us need security in our human relationships. We need to know that there is someone we can always rely on, 
no matter what we're facing. Because no matter how old you get, even if you're old like me, and I may be just about the oldest one in the room, um, often uh, we're pretty close up there, Becky and I, it doesn't matter how old you get, we still wrestle with fear. But knowing there is a Father who loves us, who protects us, who provides for us, a heavenly Father who is over everything, gives us security no matter what we face. And he says, trust me. So those are the first two pictures. Today we're going to look at the third picture. It's the picture of masters and servants. And in our context, it would be the picture of employers and employees. In the biblical time, um, there were in the, in the region that's being written to here in Europe and Asia, there were 60 million slaves. One out of every two people in the Roman Empire was a slave. And so when he's writing to servants and masters, it's that kind of context that he's writing into. He's not in any way endorsing slavery. In fact, what you see and what history bears out is that when people come to know the truth of the gospel, it is the greatest motivation for setting people free, for the abolition of all slavery because it is, an, it is absolutely um, a sin against one another and against God. But seeing the gospel and seeing who we are in Christ sets hearts free. But he's saying here, even in the midst of that kind of circumstance, even in the midst of very difficult employment circumstances, not one that you would maybe bring to the level of slavery, but one that is burdensome, there is an opportunity for us to display the greatness of God and how we are to relate to him. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing about this picture. The first picture talks about the, our need for intimacy. You and I desire to truly be fully known and fully loved. The second picture, that of parents and children, deals with our need of security. That we know there's someone we can trust no matter what. This one deals with our need for purpose. You were made for a purpose. God has a design for your life that he made you unique and distinct, and he has given you things to do that he's not given to anyone else on the planet. And it is absolutely beautiful. And here in this illustration, we see a picture of that dynamic of our relationship with God, that he gives us purpose. But all three of those pictures, for those who follow Jesus Christ, our human relationships are designed to be living stories that point others to an accurate view of God and his love for us. And in this context, we need to understand that we were made to work. Work, um, although there are times when it's, it seems more than we can do, work is a good thing. Work is not a result of the fall, as some believe, although work became more difficult because of sin. We were given very purposeful, meaningful, significant work at the very beginning, Remember what it says in Genesis at the very beginning when God um, created humanity. He says this in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God's first assignment for Adam was to give him dominion over creation. 
And you and I still have a role as a caretaker of what God has created. We have a responsibility for what he has made to care for his creation. And that work is a good and beautiful thing. But even after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned and turned away from God and work became harder, God affirmed the calling. And he says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever in a state separated from me. Um, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden, but look what it says next, to work the ground from which he was taken. Work is a part of who we are. It's a part of our identity. And you and I all want to have meaningful, lasting work. We work because we are created in the image of a God who works. God created. And he continues to work. His work had power and artistry, beauty, and incredible function. When we look, even as, um, as Eliza was praying and, and being reminded just of the beauty of creation, when we look at the complexity of creation, we see the beauty of God's artistry in his work and what he's made. It's, in, it's absolutely incredible. God also rested. He set a pattern for you and I that it's not all about work, that we need seasons of rest, that we need a, a Sabbath, a Shabbat, to be able to, be, able to um, be effective in our work. And God chose to create men and women in his image um, to, among other things, to work and to, to care for that which he created and to have a significant purpose in what they do. Work itself has value to the Lord. It doesn't matter what field you work in. There's not a comparison of religious work and secular work. That's not how God works. And I'm going to show you that from, from one of my favorite passages about work um, because it's about a guy working with his hands. It's a passage I've gone to a, a couple of times since we've been here. But your work matters. And here's the whole point of the message where it's going today. Um, and I'm putting this early on because I've been sick all week. So if I don't make it very far, at least you get the one point. And we can, we can all go to lunch early. So here's, here, don't count on it though. Um, here, here's the point of the message. We are to do our work no matter what it is as if we're working directly for Jesus Christ as his assistant as his ambassador in that area. And he will make our work meaningful, not just for now, but for all eternity. And isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you deeply want and desire is that the work that you do will have a legacy that lasts? God says it will. And it's a picture of God. When we think of, of, of Jesus, he is showing us what the Father is like. And, and what did he do? The first part of his life, we don't have a lot of details uh, about Jesus before he's 30 years of age and he begins his ministry, but the scripture tells us that he was a carpenter, that he worked hard. And in those days, that trade would have been very physical. He would have been in, in great shape because it required incredible strength in his hands and in his arms. 
and it required a sense of artistry and beauty. I always found it fascinating that that Jesus would come and work with wood knowing that one day that very substance would be what he would give his life upon, on a cross. How every time he touched the grain of wood and began to sand a piece of wood, maybe it would point him to one day he would lay down his life and his blood would pour out on a piece of wood just like this to bear your sin and my sin. He worked, and he worked beautifully. And he continues to work. I mean, Jesus' greatest work was the work of the cross in cleansing us of our sin and taking our shame and restoring us as God's children. But Jesus continues to work. And would you like to know exactly what work Jesus is doing right now? Someone can say, thank you. I knew somebody would, if I left it long enough, someone would say, yes, because otherwise he's not going to go on. We often have this image in our mind that, that God is just up there in heaven waiting for everything to happen. That is not the case. He is actively engaged. Um. Jesus is working, and perhaps his most lasting work is what he is doing right now. Do you know what it is? It is you. It is you. You are his work. There's such a beautiful passage. We looked at this earlier in the, in the letter. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are his, speaking of Jesus, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are the work of Jesus. He is working in you and through you to make you into the person he created and saved you to be. Years ago here at ICP, I did, um, we did a, a whole series on, called Restoring the Masterpiece. And this is actually a slide from that series because this verse, when you read it in the original language, when it says workmanship, it is the word poema, and it means a piece of artistry. It literally means masterpiece. For we are Jesus' masterpiece. In fact, you just need to say that right now. I am Jesus' masterpiece. Would you say that? I am Jesus' masterpiece. He's the one restoring you, working in you, refining you the one who saves you and wants your life to matter for all of eternity. That is good news. And here's the great thing. He promises he will complete his work. So you will not fail if you're trusting in him. He will complete the work that he does in you. You are his work. He is crafting your life, sanding, shaping, perfecting you into the person he created and saved you to be. And he says, you're a masterpiece. If he says that you are a piece of artistic beauty, then do not look down ever on the work that the master has given you. It is so easy for us to look at our lives on a horizontal level and compare ourselves because we look in, with the eyes of the world and we say, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm this, 
if I'm a successful business person, or if I'm a successful physician, or if I'm an attorney, or, or something that in the eyes of the world would resonate of going, that's what success looks like, that that's what we see, and we compare ourselves and we think, man, I just, I work in a store. I mean, how boring is that? Or I drive a taxi. I have something that seems ordinary. It is not ordinary. It is work that Jesus has given you to do, and it is absolutely essential. If we could see, if we could pull back the veil that allows us to see just how interconnected and interwoven we are, we would be amazed. This week, I was thankful for a a doctor. I went on Friday um, after my wife made me. I finally went to the doctor, and the doctor, you know, comes and looks at me and you know, they take my blood, and they put us in this amazing little machine, drop it in, and five minutes later, go, yeah, you have bronchitis, and you need this. And, and she was a great doctor. I was thankful for that doctor. But then I began to think, you know what? There's a whole lot more people that were part of that process. I didn't just go to the doctor and get medicine, and, and now I'm somewhat better, um, and on the way to recovery. There was the technician that was there who who took my blood. There was the person at the front desk who checked me in. There was the operator on the line when I called who answered my call to make the appointment. There was the child care worker. I'm making this part up, but it could be true. There was the child care worker that was taking care of her kids so that she could work, so that she could answer the phone to make the appointment so that I could go to the doctor so I could get medicine and I could get better. There was the driver of the metro that took me there. There were all the construction workers that enabled that metro system to be built and to be maintained in order for me to be able to go to the doctor to get a prescription, to get medicine, to get better. The truth is, if you think about that, every one of those people was essential in that simple little thing of me just getting better. All of their work, was significant. God sees the significance of our work in a whole different way than you and I do. He does not measure things based on classifications. He measures our work based on faithfulness. That's it. It doesn't matter what kind of work that we do. It matters how we do it and who we do it for. That's the message It is so important. I want to tell you, I want to tell you a secret for just a second about one of my favorite works. Um, I have done all kinds of jobs in my in my life. I worked had a wonderful career in television. I've done lots of different things in ministry. Would you like to know one of my favorite things to do? You're all gonna go, you are just We knew you were weird, but you're just getting even weirder, True, One of my favorite things to do is the dishes at the bridge. After we have an event, and whether it's a a supper, and I'm usually exhausted and, and tired, sitting there doing the dishes in the bridge center is a delight for me. Does that seem weird? Well... It seemed a little weird to me when I realized it, and then I realized why it was such a good thing. 
is because I'm able to rejoice as I'm washing the dishes over each person that came and, and pray as I'm scrubbing that stuff that they left on the plate that's now dried and got really hard, that they enjoyed the food, that they enjoyed the fellowship, that they enjoyed the connection together. And as you dry the dish and you put it on the, <coughs> excuse me, on the shelf, I get to pray for the next time that gets used, that the Lord will do something even more beautiful than what he just did that night that we got to experience together as his people. You see, that's a, a beautiful work to me. And I'm probably better at it than I am at preaching. So something to fall back on. Work is an important part of who we are. And that's why the scripture gives us um, some, some very straightforward instruction in the book of Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we heard that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. In God's kingdom, there is no place to be idle. We are to work quietly and to earn um, what we need through our labors. Um, we are to take care of the poor and the widow and the orphan, but also we ourselves are to make sure that we're diligent in our work. And so that brings us to this passage here about relationships in the workplace. Bond servants, Ephesians 6, verse 5, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or a free person. Masters, do the same to them. And that phrase is so important. Because he's saying what I just told you, servants to do, masters, you do exactly the same thing. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality in him. So the first point is that we are to serve the Lord in all of our work. Employees, those who are, who are workers, servants, we are to obey our earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as we would Christ. And so that brings us first thing, the first quality of our work, of an eth the ethic that we should have towards work, no matter where we work, no matter what kind it is, is obedience in the workplace. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to obey instruction as we would Jesus. Now, there's, there's safeguards here because that's, that's not commanding us to do something that would be outside the will of God or that God would contradict. But within that context, we are to honor those that God places in authority over us. And we are to do so as we would honor the Lord Jesus. We are to do honest work that we are assigned to and do it as unto the Lord. We are to be submissive to the authority of our leaders, um, and leaders are to be submissive to the needs of their workers. Those two have to work 
hand in hand. And God's saying, when you bring those into the right balance, it shows you a reflection of a relationship in your work with me. Because I am a God who is sensitive to your needs, and you are to be servants who use your gifts and the abilities that I have given you to obey what I tell you to do, because together we are going to do a great and amazing thing. We're going to show the world that there is incredible hope, and his name is Jesus. And I do that, not just through sermons, through preachers and radio and television programs. I'm going to do that. And through music. I'm going to do that through you in the workplace. Here's, Here's something I want you to get your mind around. You are the gospel at your company. You are the good news of Jesus Christ where you work or where you go to school. He's placed you there on purpose. You are his ambassador, and he wants to live through not just the things that you say, but the person that you are and the way that you work in such a way that others see the goodness of God and the love of Jesus Christ. That's your calling. It's huge. It is absolutely huge. And we need to see it as a calling. We're going to look at that here in just a moment. God created you to be you, to do the work he has called you to do. And he doesn't compare his children like we tend to compare ourselves. He has no partiality. The master and the servant are the same to God. That's exactly what he just said here in Ephesians. It doesn't matter. You could be the head of the greatest company. You could be Steve Jobs. Or you could have the most ordinary job picking up the trash at Apple. Doesn't matter to God. He sees you exactly the same. He does not measure our position. He measures our faithfulness. That's so important. And so whatever your, your work is, whatever you're calling, as far as I'm concerned, this is my opinion, it happens to be incredibly accurate, but you're welcome to disagree with it. The hardest work ever is a mom. Period. Hands down, nothing else. They have to put up with a whining husband and, and all of their children, and they never, ever, 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 ever have a moment off. Ever. I mean, you know, especially when they're little. I mean, even when they try to go to the bathroom, just for that two minutes, you know, 13 seconds into it, mom! I mean, it's why I've seen it for years, and I see it now in our, our children, in their children. But there's no greater calling than that, to be able to invest in the life of a little one and show them the heart of God. It's an incredible calling. A beautiful calling. So first, we are to be obedient to the Lord's instruction and obedient to those that he places in authority over us. Secondly, there's to be respect in the workplace. That word in the, in the passage where it says fear and trembling, it means respect. As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I should be champions of respect in the workplace. 
Our work should be centered on service to others. And work is not just about what you do or how well you do it. It is even more importantly about how you treat others. You are Jesus' presence at your company. More people will see Jesus through you than will ever walk in the door of a church. Remember that. It is a high calling. Your love, your integrity in the workplace needs to reflect that because it is a high calling. Humility and gratitude should be the hallmark of our character and it should be lived out in a respect for others. Where we're looking for those who are mistreated, who are disrespected in the workplace and we seek to build them up. The third point that he makes here is he says with sincerity, with an honest service. And I love the word sincerity because it's actually a word picture. It comes from the, it's a Latin term actually, it's not Greek, but it's borrowed from Latin. And sincere means without wax. Here's what that means. It's a picture of a piece of pottery that um, if you were to go to Poland and to buy Polish pottery, you'll know that they sell the pottery in different grades. And the highest grade means it's, it's the most pure and it will, it will endure the most um, rigorous of use. You can put it in the dishwasher, in the microwave, and all those kind of things. But if it's a lower scale number, it may not work as well for that. Well, in ancient times, they would say this is a sincere piece of pottery, which meant it was without wax. When you held it up to the light and you inspected it incredibly closely, none of the cracks were filled in with wax, which is what would often happen in order to make something look better than it really was. They would simply fill in the cracks with wax. Well, if you've got a pot that's filled with wax, it's not going to take very long for it to start to leak and its true nature to come out. With sincerity means that there's great heart integrity within us. There's nothing false. There's no hypocrisy. What you see is real. That's how we're to be in the workplace. The next part of it is, is, is loyalty, doing the will of God from the heart. If you will change your mindset to instead of working for your boss, or working for your company, to working for the Lord, it will change your perspective on all that you do. We are loyal to those that we work for, not because they always deserve it, but because Jesus does. So many of Jesus' parables, his living stories, were about the workplace. We have one great example is the parable of the talents and, and he, his master said to him in Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, here's what I want you to hear from that little passage. When we work for God, no matter how our career is going, when we work for him, we can enter into the joy of his heart in the workplace. May get passed over for promotion, may get neglected of that raise, may have difficulty with your supervisor, 
but you can have the joy of the Lord because that's who you're working for. And that is a far greater treasure than however many numbers are written on your pay. It is worth far more. And the promise of the Lord is he will also provide for our needs. So we work for the Lord. There's joy in serving the Lord. And each of those areas are written first to employees, but then he says, masters, you do the exactly the same thing. If you're an employer, if you have a, a supervisor, if you have people underneath you, then you need to respond in exactly the same way. And here's one more. Dignity in the workplace. When he gives instruction here about not mistreating those that we work with, if we have a place of authority, it is about preserving dignity, is recognizing that every person, every man, every woman are created in the image of God. And no one in the workplace should be abused or even invisible. Everyone from the highest executive to the most common worker deserves respect and dignity because they are made in the beautiful image of God. They have immeasurable value because God not only says they do, but he showed that they do by giving his life for them. So we should be advocates for those who are mistreated in any circumstance because that is what Jesus has done for us. He has reached out to you and I. Well, very quickly, I'm gonna go beyond this passage for just a moment and, and talk a little bit more about work. It's one of my favorite passages. I've, I've taught this before, um, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 31, verse one. In just a couple of minutes, we're gonna spend here. Because one of the keys I told you um, as in the earlier parts of this, that this all flows out of the filling of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to do your job. You may not think that you do, but I promise you, when you begin to rely on him, you'll become much better at your job because he knows your job better than you do. But here's what he says in Exodus chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability, intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, to work in every craft. I love this, because so often we just associate the filling of the Holy Spirit with spiritual things and not with our ordinary work. Here's a man who worked with his hands and God uniquely gifted him, filled him with the Holy Spirit with an ability to create. Um, we, we studied last spring, we wa walked all the way through looking at the tabernacle and all the, the instruments of the tabernacle and their beauty and their design and what they represented. And that's all an expression of the Holy Spirit working through Bezalel. Well, here's the thing. That's a pattern for all of us. God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit and use you to do beautiful things in your workplace. It may be a totally different kind of, of work. It may be paperwork. It may be accounting. It may be sales. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit can do it better than you can. 
and more beautifully than you can when we rely on him. And so here's some very quick observations from this text. First of all, you have a calling. Bezalel was called by God, and what I encourage you to do is to seek your calling in the workplace. Lord, show me what you've called and created me to do. Bezalel was called by name, the scripture says. And that's not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. I believe God calls every one of his children to work in a purpose that is meaningful and significant. And I love his name because his name means in the shadow of God. So every time he heard his name being called by one of his coworkers, it was a reminder that he was covered over by God. It's like God's wings were right overneath him wherever he went. You need to know that as well. Your name may not be Bezalel, although it's a great name. I would have suggested that for Robert, but <laughs> Robert's a great name. I like it. I like it. But maybe, maybe a, a hyphenated Robert Bezalel. Think about it. He's not, he's not going to go there. You're covered over by the presence of God, and he's given you a calling, and it's a beautiful thing. The second thing that we see here is that skill comes from God. Therefore, we should be humble. God gave you the abilities that you have. If you're particularly good at a job, you need to thank the Lord for that and be humble with those around you. You didn't earn that ability. It's a gift. Thirdly, intelligence comes from God. That's just what we read. Therefore, we are to be wise. We're to recognize that how things connect in our mind, the intellect that God has given us is also a gift from him. We are to use it with wisdom to seek how to honor him in all that we do in the workplace. Furthermore, it says that he, the Lord gave him knowledge. Knowledge comes from the Lord. It's different than wisdom. In knowledge, we're, we're not only to be wise like we are, um, but we are to be disciplined. We should never stop learning, but let learning be for a very important purpose, to better beautify and show the greatness of who God is through what we do. The reason to get better in your job is not to advance your career, but to lift up Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, here's the challenge. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, should be the best worker at your business, whatever it is, because you represent such a great and amazing God. That's a calling worth living for. The message of the, the world around us is get the best education possible so you can get the best paying job possible so you can get the most stuff possible. But it's a false promise because stuff will never satisfy the longing of our soul. It is temporary and you were made for eternity. All the stuff we accumulate will one day be given to another. A lot of it to the government, some to other people, some to family, but you're not going to take it with you. You were made for something more. You were made for a work and a purpose that lasts for eternity. So we're to seek to honor him. Also in this passage, we see that creativity comes from God. We are to be inspired 
It's incredibly important. Art and science and technology are beautiful creations that God has made. And that, those types of work, they're beautiful in the way that they display the complexity and beauty of God. And I will confess to you, I'm a little jealous when it comes to the artists. Because here's the thing. I've discovered as I study the scripture, once we hit eternity, I'm unemployed. I no longer have a job. You don't need pastors in heaven. You got Jesus. I get fired right on the spot. So I got to start all over again. If you're an artist, you get to keep being artistic in whole new ways. So I don't know what God will do with me. He'll have a great plan better than anything I can think of. But I will confess that I'm a little envious. Use what God has given you and celebrate the gifts that he's given you. It's glorious. Well, we see more. Not only did Bezalel, was he creative, but also he was a teacher of others. Teaching is a gift from God and we're to invest in others. And that's what he did. He trained up those around him and invested in the next generation of craftsmen. We should be continually doing the same, investing our lives in others to equip them not just with discipleship, that is incredibly important, but equip them as workers as well. And all of that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, Colossians puts it this way, and I need to to wrap up. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We can do everything that we do for his glory. And when we do it for his glory, it lasts. It's beautiful and it's permanent. You'll see in your notes, there's also some some other points that I put in there. But the last thing that I would, and I encourage you to kind of look at those points, and if you have questions, feel free to email me. Um, But the last thing I would say on this is choose to work as worship, because it is. Worship is not singing songs. That's a part of worship. Your work is worship, or at least it should be. When we work for God's pleasure right where he has placed us, you will display his beauty in powerful and joy-filled ways. I grew up in a home where a strong work ethic was, was almost driven into us as children. And I'm thankful that my father equipped me with a work ethic. However, it was a performance-driven work ethic. I am more grateful that I have learned that work is worship, and I have learned that not from my father, but far more from my wife. Because I see her in her work doing it as worship in beautiful ways that most people do not see, but that is expressed to the Lord. And you see, that's a part of what we are all called to do. When you work as worship, whether you're openly 
declaring, I'm doing this for Jesus, or they're simply observing your actions, others are going to see that there's something distinct and unique about you and the work that you do, and they will want to know more. Make sure that you work for Jesus, whatever your job is, and do it as worship. There's some action points there, and I'm going to end with these, and then we'll close. View your work as an offering of worship. Secondly, view your work as a canvas on which to display the beauty of God. Pursue excellence as a reflection of His greatness. Pursue integrity as a display of His holiness. Befriend others as a display of God's love. Demonstrate a thankful attitude as a display of God's goodness. Build relationships and share the impact that Jesus has had on your life as a witness. Be creative as a reflection of a creative, amazing, indescribable creator God. Be a stabilizing factor in your company as a reflection of Jesus who holds all things together. Build unity as a display of the union between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And remember, God is with you right where you are. He will use you in both the small and the great things when you trust in Him. Father God, thank you for making us. Thank you for your work. Thank you that we are your work, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as, as we go this week and, and uh, go into the tasks that you have given to us, Lord, would you enable us, first of all, to work for you, secondly, to work as worship, and then to reflect who you are rightly in the relationships that we have in the workplace and in the work that we do. May others see even through our efforts in the workplace, a true picture of you, a God who gives purpose to everything that we do, whether it's large or small. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.